chapter twenty three of ardath by marie corelli this librivox recording is in the public domain nur halma his first emotion on making this new mental rediscovery was as it had been before in the king's audience hall one of absolute terror feverish mad terror which for a few moments possessed him so utterly that turning away he buried his aching head among the cushion where he reclined in order to hide from his companion's eyes any outward sign that might betray his desperate misery clenching his hands convulsively he silently and with all his strength combated the awful horror of himself that grew up spectrally within him the dreadful distracting uncertainty of his own identity that again confused his brain and paralyzed his reason at last he thought wildly at last he knew the meaning of hell the frightful spiritual torment of a baffled intelligence set adrift among the wrecks and shadows of things that had formerly been its pride and glory what was any physical suffering compared to such a frenzy of mind agony nothing less than nothing this was the everlasting thirst and fire spoken of so vaguely by prophets and preachers the thirst and fire of the soul's unquenchable longing to unravel the dismal tangle of its own bygone deeds the striving forever in vain to steadfastly establish the wavering mystery of its own existence o oh god god what hast thou made of me he groaned inwardly as he endeavoured to calm the tempest of his unutterable despair who am i who was i in that far past which like the pale spirit of a murdered friend haunts me so indistinctly yet so threateningly surely the gift of poesy was mine surely i too could weave the harmony of words and thoughts into a sweet and fitting music how comes it then that all saluma's work is but the reflex of my own o oh, woeful strange and bitter enigma when shall it be unravelled nurhalma twas the name of what i deemed my masterpiece o oh, silly masterpiece if it prove thus easy of imitation yet stay let me be patient titles are often copied unconsciously by different authors in different lands and it may chance that saluma's poem is after all his own not mine not mine as were the ballads and the love ode he chanted to the king last night o destiny inscrutable pitiless destiny rescue my tortured soul from chaos declare unto me who who is the plagiarist and thief of song myself or saluma the more he perplexed his mind with such questions the deeper grew the darkness of the inexplicable dilemma to which a fresh obscurity was now added in his suddenly distinct and distressful remembrance of the pass of dariel where was this place he wondered wearily when had he seen it whom had he met there and how had he come to alkiris from thence no answer could his vexed brain shape to these demands he recollected the pass of dariel 
just as he recollected the field of ardath without the least idea as to what connection existed between them and his own personal adventures presently controlling himself he raised his head and ventured to look up saluma stood beside him his fine face expressive of an amiable solicitude was the sunshine too strong my friend that thou didst thus bury thine eyes in thy pillow he inquired pardon my discourteous lack of consideration for thy comfort i love the sun myself so well that methinks i could meet his burning rays at full noonday and yet take pleasure in the warmth of such a golden smile but thou perchance art unaccustomed to the light of eastern lands wherefore thy brows must not be permitted to ache on uncared for see i have lowered the awnings they give a pleasant shade and in very truth the heat to-day is greater far than ordinary one would think the gods had kindled some new fire in heaven and as he spoke he took up a long palm-leaf fan and waved it to and fro with an exquisitely graceful movement of wrist and arm while theos gazing at him in mute admiration forgot his own griefs for the time in the subtle strange and absorbing spell exercised upon him by his host's irresistible influence just then too saluma appeared handsomer than ever in the half-subdued tints of radiance that flickered through the lowered pale blue silken awnings the effect of the room thus shadowed was as of a soft azure mountain mist lit sideways by the sun a mist through which the white garmented symmetrical figure of the laureate stood forth in curiously brilliant outlines as though every curve of supple shoulder and proud throat was traced with a pencil of pure light scarcely a breath of air made its way through the wide-open casements the gentle dashing noise of the fountains in the court alone disturbed the deep warm stillness of the morning or the occasional sweeping rustle of peacock's plumes as these stately birds strutted majestically up and down up and down on the marble terrace outside soothed by the luxurious peace of his surroundings the delirium of theos's bewildering affliction gradually abated his tempest-tossed mind regained to a certain extent its equilibrium and falling into easy converse with his fascinating companion he was soon himself again that is as much himself as his peculiar condition permitted him to be yet he was not altogether free from a certain eager and decidedly painful suspense with regard to the nurhalma problem and he was conscious of what he in his own opinion considered an absurd and unnecessary degree of excitement when the door of the apartment presently opened to admit zabastes who entered carrying several sheets of papyrus and other material for writing the old critic's countenance was expressively glum and ironical he however was compelled like all the other paid servants of the household to make a low and respectful obeisance as soon as he found himself in saluma's presence an act of homage which he performed awkwardly and with evident ill-will his master nodded condescendingly in response to his reluctant salute 
and signed to him to take his place at a richly carved writing-table adorned with the climbing figures of winged cupids exquisitely wrought in ivory he obeyed shuffling thither uneasily and sniffing the rose fragrant air as he went like an ill-conditioned cur scenting a foe and seating himself in a high-backed chair he arranged his garments fussily about him rolled up his long embroidered sleeves to the elbow and spread his writing implements all over the desk in front of him with much mock solemn ostentation then rubbing his lean hands together he gave a stealthy glance of covert derision round at saluma and theos a glance which theos saw and in his heart resented but which saluma absorbed in his own reflections apparently failed to notice all is in readiness my lord he announced in his disagreeable croaking tones here are the clean and harmless slips of river reed waiting to be soiled and spotted with my lord's indelible thoughts here also are the innocent quills of the white heron as yet unstained by coloured writing fluid whether black red gold silver or purple mark you most illustrious bard the touching helplessness and purity of these meek servants of a scribbler's fancy blank papyrus and empty quills bethink you seriously whether it were not better to leave them thus unblemished the simple products of unfaulty nature than use them to indict the wondrous things of my lord's imagination whereof all wondrous though they seem no man shall ever be the wiser and he chuckled stroking his stubbly grey beard the while with a blandly suggestive yet malign look directed at saluma who met it with a slight cold smile of faintly amused contempt peace fool he said that barbarous tongue of thine is like the imperfect clapper of a broken bell that strikes forth harsh and undesired sounds suggesting nothing thy present duty is to hear and not to speak therefore listen discerningly and write with exactitude so shall thy poor blank scrolls of reed grow rich with gems gems of high poesy that the whole world shall hoard and cherish miser-like when the poet who created their bright splendour is no more he sighed a short troubled sigh and stood for a moment silent in an attitude of pensive thought theos watched him yearningly waiting in almost breathless suspense till he should dictate aloud the first line of his poem sebastes meanwhile settled himself more comfortably in his chair and taking up one of the long quills with which he was provided dipped it in a reddish purple liquid which at once stained its point to a deep roseate hue so that when the light flickered upon it from time to time it appeared as though it were tipped with fire how intense the heat was thought theos as with one hand he pushed his clustering hair from his brow not without noticing that his action was imitated almost at once by saluma who also seemed to feel the oppressiveness of the atmosphere and what a blaze of blue pervaded the room delicate ethereal blue as of shimmering lakes and summer skies melted together into one luminous radiance radiance that while filmy was yet perfectly transparent and in which the laureate's classic form appeared to be gloriously enveloped like that of some new descended god 
theos rubbed his eyes to cure them of their dazzled ache what a marvellous scene it was to look upon he mused would he could he ever forget it ah no never never not till his dying day would he be able to obliterate it from his memory and who could tell whether even after death he might not still recall it just then saluma raised his hand by way of signal to sebastes his face became earnest pathetic even grand in the fervent concentration of his thoughts he was about to begin his dictation now now and theos leaned forward nervously his heart beating with apprehensive expectation hush the delicious suave melody of his friend's voice penetrated the silence like the sweet harmonic of a harp string write said he slowly write first the title of my poem thus nur halma a love legend of the past there was a pause during which the pen of zabastes travelled quickly over the papyrus for a moment then stopped theos almost suffocated with anxiety could hardly maintain even the appearance of calmness the title proclaimed with its second appendage was precisely the same as that of his own work but this did not now affect him so much what he waited for with such painfully strained attention was the first line of the poem if it was his line he knew it already it ran thus a central sorrow dwells in perfect joy scarcely had he repeated this to himself inwardly than saluma with majestic grace and sweetness of utterance dictated aloud a central sorrow dwells in perfect joy ah god the sharp cry half fierce half despairing broke from theos's quivering lips in spite of all the efforts he made to control his agitation and the laureate turned toward him with a surprised and somewhat irritated movement that plainly evinced annoyance at the interruption pardon saluma he murmured hastily twas a slight pang at the heart troubled me a mere nothing i take shame to myself to have cried out for such a pin's prick speak on thy first line is as soft as honey-dew as suggestive as the light of dawn on sleeping flowers and leaning dizzily back on his couch he closed his eyes to shut in the hot and bitter tears that welled up rebelliously and threatened to fall notwithstanding his endeavour to restrain them his head throbbed and burned as though a chaplet of fiery thorns encircled it instead of the once desired crown of fame he had so fondly dreamed of winning fame alas that bright delusive vision had fled forever there were no glory laurels left growing for him in the fields of poetic art and aspiration saluma the fortunate saluma had gathered and possessed them all taking everything into serious consideration he came at last to the deeply mortifying conclusion that it must be himself who was the plagiarist the unconscious imitator of saluma's ideas and methods and the worst of it was that his imitation was so terribly exact oh how heartily he despised himself for his poor and pitiful lack of originality down to the very depths of humiliation he sternly abased his complaining struggling wounded 
and sorely resentful spirit he then and there became the merciless executioner of his own claims to literary honour and deliberately crushing all his past ambition mutinous discontent and uncompliant desires with a strong master hand he lay quiet as patiently unmoved as is a dead man to the wrongs inflicted on his memory and forced himself to listen resignedly to every glowing line of his no not his but saluma's poem the lovely gracious delicate entrancing poem he remembered so well and by and by as each mellifluous stanza sounded softly on his ears a strangely solemn tranquillity swept over him a most soothing halcyon calm as though some passing angel's hand had touched his brow in benediction he looked at saluma not enviously now but all admiringly it seemed to him that he had never heard a sweeter tenderer music than the story of Nurhalma, as recited by his friend and so to that friend he silently awarded his own wished-for glory praise and everlasting fame that glory praise and fame which had formerly allured his fancy as being the best of all the world could offer but which he now entirely and willingly relinquished in favour of this more deserving and dear comrade whose superior genius he submissively acknowledged there was a great quietness everywhere the rising and falling inflections of saluma's soft rich voice rather deepened than disturbed the stillness the pen of zabastes glided noiselessly over the slips of papyrus and the small sounds of the outer air such as the monotonous hum of bees among the masses of lily bloom that towered in white clusters between the festooned awnings the thirsty twittering of birds hiding under the long palm leaves to shelter themselves from the heat and the incessant splash of the fountains all seemed to be as it were mere appendages to enhance the breathless hush of nature presently saluma paused and zabastes heaving a sigh of relief looked up from his writing and laid down his pen the work is finished most illustrious he demanded a curious smile playing on his thin satirical lips finished echoed saluma disdainfully nay tis but the end of the first canto the scribe gave vent to a dismal groan ye gods he exclaimed is there more to come of this bombastic ranting and vile torturing of phrases unheard of and altogether unnatural oh saluma marvellous saluma twaddler saluma what a brain-box is thine how full of dislocated word-puzzles and similes gone mad now as i live expect no mercy from me this time and he shook his head threateningly for if the public news-sheet will serve me as mine anvil i will so pound thee in pieces with the sledge-hammer of my criticism that by the ship of the sun for once alcirus shall be moved to laughter at thee mark me good tuner-up of tinkling foolishness i will so choose out and handle thy feeblest lines that they shall seem but the doggerel of a street ballad monger i will give so bald an epitome of this sickly love tale that it shall appeal to all who read my commentary the various trash that ever poet penned moreover i can most admirably misquote thee 
and distort thy meanings with such excellent bitter jesting that thou thyself shall scarcely recognize thine own production by nagaya's shrine what a feast will be for my dilatation and he rubbed his hands gleefully with what a weight of withering analysis i can pulverize this idol of nurhalma into the dust and ashes of a common-sense contempt while sebastes thus spoke saluma had helped himself by way of refreshment to two ripe figs in whose luscious crimson pulp his white teeth met with all the enjoying zest of a child's healthy appetite he now held up the rind and stalks of these devoured delicacies and smiled thus wilt thou swallow up my poem in thy glib clumsiness zabastes he said lightly and thus wilt them hold up the most tasteless portions of the whole for the judgment of the public tis the manner of thy craft yet see and with a dexterous movement of his arm he threw the fruit-peel through the window far out into the garden beyond there goes thy famous criticism and he laughed and those that taste the fruit itself at first hand will not soon forget its flavour nevertheless i hope indeed that thou wilt strive to slaughter me with thy blunt paper sword i do most mirthfully relish the one-sided combat in which i stand in silence to receive thy blows myself unhurt and tranquil as a marble god whom ruffians rail upon do i not pay thee to abuse me here thou crusty soul drink and be content and with a charming condescension he handed a full goblet of wine to his cantankerous critic who accepted it ungraciously muttering in his beard the necessary words of thanks for his master's consideration then turning to theos the laureate continued and thou my friend what dost thou think of nurhalma so far hath it not a certain exquisite smoothness of rhythm like the ripple of a woodland stream clear winding through the reeds and is there not a tender witchery in the delineation of my maiden heroine so warmly fair so wildly passionate methinks she doth resemble some rich flower of our tropic fields blooming at sunset and dead at moonrise theos waited a moment before replying truth to tell he was inwardly overcome with shame to remember how wantonly he had copied the description of this same nurhalma and plaintively he wondered how he could have unconsciously committed so flagrant a theft summoning up all his self-possession however he answered bravely thy work saluma is worthy of thyself need i say more thou hast most aptly proved thy claim upon the whole world's gratitude such lofty thoughts such noble discourse upon love such high philosophy wherein the deepest dearest dreams of life are grandly pictured in enduring colours these things are gifts to poor humanity whereby it must become enriched and proud thy name bright soul shall be as a quenchless star on the dark brows of melancholy time men gazing thereat shall wonder and adore and even i the least among thy friends may also win from thee a share of glory for simply to know thee to listen to thy heaven-inspired utterance might bring the most renownless student some reflex of thine honour yes thou art great saluma great as the greatest of earth's gifted sons of song and with all my heart i offer thee my homage and pride myself upon 
the splendour of thy fame and as the eager enthusiastic words came from his lips he beheld saluma's beautiful countenance brighten more and more till it appeared mysteriously transfigured into a majestic angel face that for one brief moment startled him by the divine tenderness of its compassionate smile this expression however was transitory it passed and the dark eyes of the laureate gleamed with a merely serene and affectionate complacency as he said i thank thee for thy praise good theos thou art indeed the friendliest of critics hadst thou thyself been the author of nurhalma thou couldst not have spoken with more ardent feeling were zabastes like thee discerningly just and reasonable he would be all unfit for his vocation for tis an odd circumstance that praise in the public news-sheet does a writer more harm than good while ill-conditioned and malicious abuse doth very materially increase and strengthen his reputation yet after all there is a certain sense in the argument for if much eulogy be penned by the cheap scribes the reading populace at once imagine these fellows have been bribed to give their over-zealous approval or that they are close friends and banquet comrades of the author whom they arduously uphold whereas on the contrary if they indulge in bitter invective flippant gibing or clumsy satire like my amiable zabastes here and he made an airy gesture toward the silent yet evidently chafing critic and mark you he is not bribed but merely paid fair wages to fulfil his chosen and professed calling why thereupon the multitude exclaim what this poet hath such enemies nay then how great a genius he must be and forthwith they clamour for his work which if it speak not for itself is then and only then to be deemed faulty and meriting oblivion tis the people's verdict which alone gives fame and yet the people are often ignorant of what is noblest and best in literature observed theos musingly ignorant in some ways yes agreed saloma but in many others no they may be ignorant as to why they admire a certain thing yet they admire it all the same because their natural instinct leads them so to do and this is the special gift which endows the uncultured masses with an occasional sweeping advantage over the cultured few the superiority of their instinct as in cases of political revolution for example while the finely educated orator is endeavouring by all the force of artful rhetoric to prove that all is in order and as it should be the mob moved by one tremendous impulse discover for themselves that everything is wrong and moreover that nothing will come right unless they rise up and take authority accordingly down go the thrones and the colleges the palaces the temples and the law assemblies all like so many toys before the resistless instinct of the people who revolt at injustice and who feel and know when they are injured though they are not clever enough to explain where their injury lies and so as they cannot talk about it coherently any more than a lion struck by an arrow can give a learned dissertation on his wound they act and the heat and fury of their action upheaves dynasties again reverting to the question of taste and literature the mob untaught and untrained in the subtleties of art 
will applaud to the echo certain grand and convincing home truths set forth in the plays of the divine hispiros simply because they instinctively feel them to be truths no matter how far they themselves may be from acting up to the standard of morality therein contained the more highly cultured will hear the same passages unmoved because they in the excess of artificially gained wisdom have deadened their instincts so far that while they listen to a truth pronounced they already consider how best they can confute it and prove the same a lie honest enthusiasm is impossible to the over-punctilious and pedantic scholar but on the other hand i would have it plainly understood that a mere brief local popularity is not fame no for the author who wins the first never secures the last what i mean is that a book or poem to be great and keep its greatness hereafter must be judged worthy by the natural instinct of peoples their decision i own may be tardy their hesitation may be prolonged through a hundred or more years but their acceptance whether it be declared in the author's lifetime or ages after his death must be considered final i would add moreover that this world-wide decision has never yet been and never will be hastened by any amount of written criticism it is the responsive beat of the enormous pulse of life that thrills through all mankind high and low gentle and simple its great throbs are slow and solemnly measured yet if once it answers to a poet's touch that poet's name is made glorious for ever he spoke with a rush of earnestness and eloquence that was both persuasive and powerful and he now stood silent and absorbed his dreamy eyes resting meditatively on the massive bust of the immortal personage he called his spiros which smiled out in serene cold whiteness from the velvet-shadowed shrine it occupied theos watched him with fascinated and fraternal fondness did ever man possess so dulcet a voice he thought so grave and rich and marvellously musical yet thrilling with such heart-moving suggestions of mingled pride and plaintiveness thou art a most alluring orator saluma he said suddenly methinks i could listen to thee all day and never tire if faith so could not i interposed zabastes grimly for when a bard begins to gabble goose-like platitudes which merely concern his own vocation the gods only know when he can be persuaded to stop nay tis more irksome far than the recitation of his professional jingle for to that there must in time come a merciful fitting end but as i live if twas my custom to say prayers i would pray to be delivered from the accursed volubility of a versifier's tongue and perchance it will not be considered out of my line of duty if i venture to remind my most illustrious and renowned master this with a withering sneer that if he has any more remarkable nothings to dictate concerning this particularly inane creation of his fancy nurhalma twill be well that we should proceed therewith for the hours wax late and the sun veereth toward his house of noon and he spread out fresh slips of papyrus and again prepared his long quill saluma smiled as one who was tolerant of the whims of a hired buffoon and this time seating himself in his ebony chair was about to commence dictating his second canto when theos 
yielding to his desire to speak aloud the idea that had just flashed across his brain said abruptly has it ever seemed to thee saluma as it now does to me that there is a strange resemblance between thy imaginative description of the ideal nurhalma and the actual charms and virtues of thy strayed singing maid nephrata saluma looked up thoroughly astonished and laughed no verily i have not traced nor can i trace the smallest vestige of a similarity why good theos there is none not the least in the world for this heroine of mine nurhalma loves in vain and sacrifices all even her innocent and radiant life for love as thou wilt hear in the second half of the poem moreover she loves one who is utterly unworthy of her faithful tenderness now nephrata is a child of delicate caprice she loves me me her lord and methinks i am not negligent or undeserving of her devotion again she has no strength of spirit her timorous blood would freeze at the mere thought of death she is more prone to play with flowers and sing for pure delight of heart than perish for the sake of love tis an unequal simile my friend as well compare a fiery planet with a twinkling dewdrop as draw a parallel between the heroic ideal maid nurhalma and my fluttering singing bird nephrata theos sighed involuntarily but forcing a smile let the subject drop and held his peace while saluma taking up the thread of his poetical narrative went on reciting when the story began to ripen toward its conclusion he grew more animated rising he paced the room as he declaimed the splendid lines that now rolled gloriously one upon another like deep-mouthed billows thundering on the shore his gestures were all indicative of the fervour of his inward ecstasy his eyes flashed his features glowed with that serene proud light of conscious power and triumph that rests on the calm wide brows of the sculptured apollo and theos leaning one arm in a half-sitting posture contemplated him with a curious sensation of wistful eagerness and passionate pain such as might be felt by some forgotten artist mysteriously permitted to come out of his grave and wander back to earth there to see his once rejected pictures hung in places of honour among the world's chief treasures a strange throb of melancholy satisfaction stirred his pulses as he reflected that he might now without any self-conceit at least admire the poem since he had decided that was no longer his but in others he was free to bestow on it as much as he would of unstinting praise for it was very fine there could be no doubt of that whatever zabastes might say to the contrary and it was not only fine but intensely humanly pathetic seeming to strike a chord of passion such as had never before been sounded a chord to which the world would be compelled to listen yes compelled thought theos exultingly as saluma drew nearer and nearer the close of his dictation the deep quiet all around was so heavy as to be almost uncomfortable in its oppressiveness it exercised a sort of strain upon the nerves hark what was that through the hot and silent air swept a sullen surging noise as of the angry shouting of a vast multitude then came the fast and furious gallop of many horses and again that fierce resentful roar of indignation swelling up as it seemed from thousands of throats moved all three at once by the same instinctive desire to know what was going on theo saluma and zabasti sprang from their different places in the room and hurried out on the marble terrace dashing aside the silken awnings as they went in order to better see the open glimpses of the city thoroughfares that lay below theos leaning far out over the western half of the balustrade was able to command a distant view of the great square in which the huge white granite obelisk 
occupied so prominent a position and fixing his eyes attentively on this spot saw that it was filled to overflowing with a dense mass of people whose white raimented forms pressed together in countless numbers swayed restlessly to and fro like the rising waves of a stormy sea lifted above this troubled throng one tall dark figure was distinctly outlined against the dazzling face of the obelisk a figure that appeared to be standing on the back of the colossal lion that lay couchant beneath and as theos strained his sight to distinguish the details of the scene more accurately he suddenly beheld a glittering regiment of mountain men in armour charging straightly and with cruelly determined speed right into the centre of the crowd apparently regardless of all havoc to life and limb that might ensue involuntarily he uttered an exclamation of horror at what seemed to him so wanton and brutal an act when just then saluma caught him eagerly by the arm saluma whose soft oval countenance was brilliant with excitement and in whose eyes gleamed a mingled expression of mirth and ferocity come come my friend he said hastily yonder is a sight worth seeing tis the mad coast rule who is thus entrenched and fortified by the mob as i live that sweeping gallop of his majesty's royal guards is magnificent they will seize the prophet this time without fail ay if they slay a thousand of the populace in the performance of their duty come let us hasten to the scene of action twill be a struggle i would not miss for all the world he sprang down the steps of the loggia accompanied by theos who was equally excited when all at once sebastes thrusting out his head through a screen of vine leaves cried after them saluma most illustrious what of the poem it is not finished no matter returned saluma twill be finished hereafter and he hastened on theos treading close in his footsteps and thinking as he went of the new enigma thus proposed to puzzle afresh the weary workings of his mind his poem of nurhama or rather the poem he had fancied was his had been entirely completed down to the last line now salumus was left to be finished hereafter strange that he should find a pale glimmering of consolation in this a feeble hope that perhaps after all at some future time he might be able to produce a few a very few lines of noble verse that should be deemed purely original enough perchance to endow him with a faint far halo of diminished glory such as plodding students occasionally win by following humbly yet ardently even as he now followed saluma in the paths of excellence marked out by greater men End of chapter twenty three